I'm Austin. I'm Bridget. And I'm Lauren. And this is Tipsy Ghouls, a podcast that searches your neck of the woods for the stories that keep you up at night about true crime, conspiracies, and you guessed it, ghosts. This week's topic is Alabama, a state known for its history, some cold beer, and some pretty strong opinions on how the country should be ran. So without further ado, let's get started. What's up, you spooky bitches? You know what time it is. Welcome to Tipsy Ghouls. This is a podcast with me, Bridget, my friends Lauren and Austin, and we're going to be talking about all things spooky, and this is the first episode. Yes! Hello! So, this is the new podcast, Tipsy Ghouls, like Bridget said, and we are going to be tackling three, yes, three different topics. Yes, Yes, we are quite ambitious here. (laughs) So I am Lauren. I will be talking about true crime. And I am Bridget, and I'll be talking about conspiracy theories. And I am Austin. I'm your resident spooky hoe. We're going to be talking (laughs) about (laughs) ghosts on my end. Yes. (laughs) I need to stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like it. I like it. The more personality, the better. We don't want to be robots, you know. True. Um, but conspiracy, maybe we are robots. Copy, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> but this is kind of a um, spinoff, if you will, of our other podcast, Tipsy Guide. And as, as you might know, me and Lauren are the Tipsy Girls. So Austin has been featured a lot in our other stuff. And we just decided we want to do something together. Right. We made it a Tipsy Trio. Yes. We all love spooky things. And we just thought that this would be a fun way to bring together a pretty common topic that a lot of people do podcasts about just just spooky things in general but we're gonna take kind of a different approach so hopefully it's fun does anyone want to introduce the structure of our episodes yeah so each week we're going to be visiting different topics for each state uh we're going to go state by state alphabetically that means that we're starting with Alabama, and we're going to end with whatever the fuck the last state is. In the <laughs> I, don't I don't know. What like, starts with a Z? <laughs> <laughs> whatever like, start, what state, state starts, starts with a Z. Z. Oh, fuck. I already found one for Britain, though, so like we should we move to uh, international after that. <laughs> yes. So after we, um, so each state that we choose, we're going to go through one true crime one conspiracy and one paranormal happening yes. and we are just going to go alphabetical through the states like austin said and we're going to have drinks with us while we do mm-hmm. it hence the tipsy ghouls yes i can't do anything without drinking <laughs> i mean obviously <laughs> yes. yeah same we're just adding another podcast which is another night that we're drinking so <laughs> it's fine everything's fine <laughs> it's a good way to get friends together yes yes we usually are drinking craft beers, but tonight none of us are, but that's nope. okay. Nope. We'll quickly introduce what we're drinking in case you want to drink along, maybe. Oh, yes. Drink along, fellas. So um, tonight I am drinking one of the new White Claw flavors. My brother got me a case of the new flavors for my birthday, and I have the tangerine one. It slaps pretty hard, I gotta <laughs> say. It's pretty crispy. Um, I am drinking a new seltzer that just hit the market it's from canteen spirits it is a watermelon vodka soda it is my absolute favorite seltzer to drink mm-hmm. now so good it has 99 calories no sodium no sugar no carbs and it's gluten-free so and it's only oh. 99 ca- i already said it's 99 <laughs> calories a can and it's already it's only 99 calories a can. 
I just really want to drive that home. And uh, this one's watermelon flavored. It's yes. super good. Drink up, spooky hose. We love it because it's an actual vodka soda and not like fermented sugar like this one. <laughs> awesome. Do you want to introduce any specific wine you're drinking? Yeah. So tonight I'm drinking uh, red wine. I'm drinking Cabernet Sauvignon. And in spirit of starting our new podcast, it is 99 Crimes or whatever it is. Is it 99 Crimes? Oh, that's perfect. 19 crimes. 13 crimes? 19 crimes? 19. 99, 99 Crimes Walk Into a Bar. <laughs> it's a knockoff. It's 99 Crimes. It's the one about Cheers. criminals. It's the wine made by criminals from Australia. Cheers, Tipsy Ghouls. Yes. Oh, cheers from far away, Christ. Yeah, as you guys might know, Austin lives in Florida, and we live in Ohio, so we're doing this remotely most of the time, but every now and again, we'll be in the same place, and we'll get a special All Together episode, which if you've heard episode three, I think it is, of Tipsy Guide, you know how much of a shit show that could possibly be. (laughs) We'll try to reel it in for you guys. But, so... Before we start, just so you guys can get to know us a little bit more, um, if you're not a Tipsy Guide listener, or if you uh, just found this by searching through our tags, I'm Lauren. I am from Ohio, and I mean, obviously, I live here, um, <laughs> and I'm just going to go through the thing that got me into true crime. Yes, yes. So the case that really got me into true crime is actually the Amityville horror case, which is paranormal and has that true crime aspect to it and I've just been so interested in that ever since and then my favorite conspiracy has got to be how birds are not real Mm -hmm. that they're robots and they're watching (laughs) us yes of course but I think my favorite spooky one is also the Amityville horror which goes both ways yeah um and my name is Bridget uh I'm also from Ohio (laughs) and (laughs) O-H-I-O if you know what I mean um (laughs) I'm not even a sports fan. I don't know why I said that. Um, (laughs) um, But I'm going to be talking all conspiracies. Um, I feel like I've always been a conspiracy theorist deep down, but I really got into it when I started watching uh, Shane Dawson's conspiracy videos. I just like stumbled upon them about a year ago and just like fell into a conspiracy theory hole and got Shane mad. Dawson, <laughs> you angel. Hey, what's up, you guys? Yes. So. Hey, what's up, you guys? <laughs> yes. Um, so I think my favorite conspiracy of all time is the Flat Earth, um, which we did. It's not, I'm not t- technically a Flat Earther, but it's got some interesting points in it. I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it one day. Yeah. Um, I, we actually do have a conspiracy episode of Tipsy Guide if you want to hear me talk about it a little more. Um, but that's kind of what got me into conspiracy. And then I've always loved, um, ghost stories. I feel like my house is haunted as a child. So, uh, maybe we'll talk about that eventually. <laughs> and then true Therapy. crime is just fun. I feel like we all have a morbid obsession with them, um, people killing other people. So <laughs> it's yeah. just fun to talk about. <laughs> Yay. Well, my name is Austin, everyone. Um, I really honestly... I've been always been into the spooky stuff. Uh, growing up, I used to have like weird encounters and everything. And when I got older, it just kind of turned into a part of my life. So 
now that I am a full-fledged adult and all. It's just, it's something that I've always been really interested in. It's something that I'm still interested in. And now I get to talk about it with everyone and I'm so lit for it. But I'm just really excited to be covering different states, different topics, different ghost encounters from across the U.S., maybe someday across the world. I don't know. I'm just really excited about this. Me too. Yes, we are too. And that's that. Do you want to dive in? That's that on that, sis. Who wants to go first? Do we want to start the spooky music right now? (laughs) (laughs) Spooky time. All right, who wants to go first? I don't know. I feel like you guys are more prepared than me. Do you guys want to go first? I can go first. Okay. All right, here we go. All right, so for mine, I decided to cover the 2013 Alabama bunker hostage crisis. So, on January 29th, 2013, Jimmy Lee Dykes, a 65-year-old Vietnam vet, took five-year-old Ethan Gilman hostage. So, So, thus follows the insane story of the Alabama bunker hostage crisis. I love a good hostage story. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Lee Dykes had always made a point to say the upper class thought he was too stupid to know they had done him wrong. He spoke about wanting to put out bowls of antifreeze to poison the neighbor's dogs and even talked about wanting to take hostages in a church during a Sunday service. Over the years, Dykes had been arrested for drugs, drunk driving, assault, and larceny. He was due in court on January 30th, 2013 to face a misdemeanor charge, but instead he decided to board a school bus grab a five-year-old boy and carry him to his bunker just after 3:30 p.m on january 29 2013 jimmy lee dykes boarded a dale county school bus and demanded to take two children from the bus via handwritten note with dykes claiming that he had a story to tell according to the note he said no harm will come to the kids and when the story is finished they will go free and i will die the school bus driver charles albert poland jr refused until dyke fired five shots, killed Poland, and left the bus with five-year-old Ethan Gilman, a student with autism from Midland City Elementary School. Dykes headed directly to his underground bunker on the edge of a peanut field in southeastern Alabama, constructed in 2012 with help from a friend. Once there, he called 911 and professed he was holding a hostage and would only speak to police via PVC pipe that emerged from the ground by his front gate. Ew, what Isn't the that fuck? crazy? Oh, my God. So this PVC pipe, Ew. like, stuck out of the ground oh my God. from his bunker, and that's the way he... And he had the kid down there? Yeah. Oh. And from the pictures, it looked like it was super tiny. Oh. So Lieutenant Bill Rafferty was among one of the first responders to the incident, obviously followed by more police and an FBI negotiator who arrived around 8 o'clock p.m. The operation's home base was at nearby Destiny Church, and it was 9 o'clock by the time Mr. Dykes said he was done talking and fell silent for the rest of the night. Overnight, the police found a bomb in the PVC pipe made of gunpowder and shotgun pellets with a trigger that ran down to the bunker. Upon searching the rest of the grounds, many more PVC pipes were found, only assuming that these also contained homemade bombs. So they were basically booby traps and landmines all around his property. Oh, my God. In the morning of the second day, neighbors were evacuated and a speaker system was set up next to the PVC pipe connected to the bunker so negotiators could speak safely with dykes. The new day brought more FBI agents, police, and a perplexing hostage situation to deal with. 
Later in the day, a camera was inserted into the pipe where the police saw a tarp covering a toilet bucket in a three-level bunk bed. And that's the only thing that was in there. A three-level like bunk bed? Else. Yeah, because Listen. originally he wanted to take two kids instead of just one. Oh, so my God. So it's going to be him and these two other kids just living in this tiny bunker. God. And there's just a hole in the ground for... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the third day was spent with the community rallying behind the police officers with cooked meals and so much support to go around. Lieutenant Rafferty spent hours on the phone with Dykes speaking about Dykes' mistreatment by the government, but they also talked about stuff like Oprah Winfrey, like current events, and a whole bunch of different stuff. So on this first couple of days, he was actually very compliant, and he kind of took care of Ethan, the kid that he took, and really became, I want sort of a grandfatherly figure towards him mm-hmm. so he was very caring of him and um by day five police picked up 36 year old cindy dykes she had not spoken to her father in about 50 years and all she remembered was his mean streak but she was hoping when the police picked her up and took her to where her dad was holding this kid that she would actually take the place of five-year-old ethan in the bunker what Ew. So by this time, Dykes' mood had become irritable and threatening. So this is only two days between when they were talking to him and he was being civil to where he was just completely being super, like, flip-flopped. And he became um, irritable and just completely started ignoring Ethan and even started chastising him. So around 1 o'clock p.m. on that fifth day during a medicine delivery, Dykes spotted an agent's rifle. And became super furious, stating that Ethan knew how to set off the pipe bomb and threatened if the pipe bomb were to be set off, Ethan would also be dead. And they completely believed him when he said that he was going to kill this kid. So by day six, Dykes was super hostile and uh, completely ignored Ethan. And it's so sad, too, because he was also autistic. So he really had no Mm -hmm. idea what was going on. Um. And then by day seven, the rescue operation was underway. So they were in this bunker for seven days. The FBI set up Cindy Dykes to video message with her father via laptop, but she actually never got to speak to him. So this cleverly orchestrated rescue mission began, and within five minutes, the explosion was detonated in the PVC pipe, and the bunker opened, and the rescue team was actually able to rush in. So... Bullets were flying, explosions were detonating, and flashbangs were put into the bunkers to hopefully stun dykes yeah. and uh, rescue Ethan. They sent t- attack dogs down there to try to get to him, and eventually they found Ethan in a corner and then struggled with dykes, who was eventually shot 12 times. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's freaking crazy. Like, this one dude who lives in, like, a trailer was able to do this much da- this much damage. Yeah. And think about how long he was building that bunker for. Yeah. Ew, that's disgusting. So, uh, um, Charles Poland, the bus driver's funeral service, was attended by hundreds and hundreds, and the road that runs alongside Destiny Church, which was where the home base was for this operation, was named after him. And ultimately, the story that Jimmy Lee Dykes wanted to tell was never heard. So he never wrote down anything, never told the FBI or police officers what he actually wanted to do or what he wanted to say. So his story was ultimately just yeah, 
Never said. We had seven days to tell it. God damn. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> God damn. God damn. That is crazy. Yep. And so that, I mean, obviously it's a very topical um, coverage of it. There is so much more that goes with it. I found an awesome article from the Wall Street Journal by Michael M. Phillips, and it has the picture of his note that he gave, that Dykes gave Charles Poland. It has video of when... They were storming the bunker. It has um, sound with it. So you can definitely check that one out. And then obviously I got my information from Wikipedia as well. Man. And that is the short, super topical story <laughs> of the Alabama bunker hostage crisis. When wow. did that happen? 2013. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I was picturing like a long time ago. Yeah, that January 29th, 2013. Oh, my God. It's I know. crazy how like we didn't hear about that. Right. And that's what I was thinking while you were talking is like, we're going to uncover a lot of stories that we never would have heard about from just like searching in individual states. Right. Because nobody up here gave a shit about that. Well, I'm down the road, I guess. I haven't heard anything about it. Holy cow. When I was reading the story, it was saying that it was like a worldwide media event media people were coming yeah. down from basically everywhere to cover this story and they were all in that church parking mm -hmm. lot getting information and broadcasting from there wow so he ended up just having the one kid right yeah kind of yeah he originally kid. wanted to abduct two children but he only ended up getting him because the bus driver was so heroic and said no like i'm not letting you on this bus and eventually, and he got killed for it, but, oh, yes. Man. Do you want to go next? Sure, I'll go next. All right, are you guys ready? Yes. All right. Yes. My story is the Drish House in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So Ooh. my sources for the Drish House are Wikipedia, lineup.com, and alabamaheritagesociety.com. All right. So the history for the house, uh, the large stuccoed brick house was built in the center of a 450-acre plantation on the edge of town for Dr. John R. Drish in 1837. Drish was among the earliest settlers of Tuscaloosa, settling there in 1822. A widower himself, he mar married um, a wealthy widow named Sarah McKinney in 1835 and by that time he had a successful physician's practice and worked as a building contractor with many skilled artisan slaves. These slaves executed much of the early plaster work in Tuscaloosa. Uh, built for Drish by his slaves artisans, the first early incarnation of the house is usually credited to the influence of the state architect William Nichols. The exterior of the house as um, completed was completed in 1837. Um, it featured a full width, full width monumental Doric porticos uh, to the front and rear with two-storied uh, pilasters dividing each bay on all four sides. So basically, it was like a big porch on top and a big porch on bottom and tall pillars dividing everything. Uh, the house was extensively remodeled uh, in the Italianate style prior to the American Civil War with three-story brick tower, uh, with a three-story brick tower being added. Uh, the front columns changed to ionic order 
brackets being added to the eaves and overhangs and two-story cast iron side porches to each side. Now, that was a lot of history for the house, but I just wanted to build up how grand this house was and how much it took. It took them two years to build this house. Wow, that's um, crazy. So the, the story here, Dr. Drish was known as an alcoholic and, an, and a gambler, which, you know, is a winning combination for a uh, person <laughs> right, practicing yes. medicine. Yes. Um, so one night in 1867, um, Dr. Drish was doing, you know, your thing after a night bender uh, where you're trying to sober up so that you can function. Um, but being an alcoholic, he probably, I'm guessing, came down too fast or came off of his alcohol too fast or whatever. Uh, and during that time, um, he got, started getting the shakes and started hallucinating. And in this hallucination, according to the stories, John ran. Um, he just ran down the hallway and launched himself off of the balcony, dying on impact. What? Oh, oh my God. My right. Um, so his wife, Sarah... Now she's a widow for the second time. They were both married before. She's a widow again. Um, she has to plan this man's funeral because he launched himself off the freaking balcony. So she's planning this funeral and she finds out that John wants um, his funeral and burial to be done very specifically. And so Sarah being the loving wife that she is, she follows it to the letter. She does everything she, he wanted her to do. And then in this time, she becomes obsessed with the planning and um, turned the funeral into this elaborate event. So, like, people showed up from everywhere just for a funeral. Which, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Um, after the funeral, Sarah said that she wanted um, her funeral to be done the exact same way when she passed away. She even went as far to keep the candles from his funeral so that they would be burned at her funeral when she passed away. Um, she wow. was super serious about it, so she hid him away, and she wanted to keep him safe. And um, she hid him so well that no one could find them when she died. And in 1884, when Sarah passed away, uh, they had her funeral, but they weren't able to use the candles from John's funeral. Um, so people believe that this is when the haunting starts because... Um, her funeral wasn't done the way that she wanted it and she was upset in her afterlife because she didn't get the burial and the funeral that she asked for. Um, so after this, they start seeing a flame uh, coming from the brick uh, tower on the mansion, on the house, and they think that the tower is on fire and someone reports it. And when the firefighters get there, the firemen get there, they see that nothing's going on in the house. There's no flame coming from the house. Yeah, people report this for years on after this. Uh, Phantom fires reported uh, from the tower, but the local law enforcement knew that nothing was going on. It was just people seeing it. Uh, Many people believe, though, that it's Sarah presenting herself as a fire because her husband's candles weren't uh, burned at her funeral. Ooh, creepy. Bitch was obsessed with her candles. Good thing Yankee Candle wasn't a thing back then. Uh, I bet were the candles in the tower. I, I bet you they were. I, that she was trying to like hide them in the tower, and then no one found them. She's like, they're up yeah. here, bitch. <laughs> I know they're up here. <laughs> She's just trying to point them out. Um, so the mansion mansion changed. Oh my gosh, I can't talk anymore. The mansion changed hands several times after Sarah's death. Um, while it was still a residence, the surrounding property was sold and subdivided to create Tuscaloosa's first major expansion. Uh, the structure eventually became 
um, it was owned by the Tuscaloosa School Board, who opened um, the Jemison School in the house in 1906. And it continued to be a school until 1925, after which it was purchased for use um, as a parts warehouse for Charles Turner's Tuscaloosa Wrecking Company. Um, it was during its use as a parts warehouse that Walker Evans took his famous photograph of the house. Um, you can find it online in 1935. Um, and it's displayed at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, in 1940, it was purchased by the Southside Baptist Church, which added a sanctuary to one side of the house and a detached Sunday school to the other side of the house. And the church retained it for the rest of the 20th century. It was eventually threatened by proposed demolition in 1994, but was leased to the Heritage Commission of Tuscaloosa County instead by uh, former church members when the church became defunct in 1995. Uh, the house was in a state of disrepair by 2006 when it was added to the Places in Peril listing by the Alabama Historical Society, an Alabama Trust for Historical Preservation. Uh, it was deeded to the Tuscaloosa County Preservation Society in July 2007, and in 2009, the uh, church additions were demolished to take it back to its original structure, so just the house, not the added things on the sides. And in 2016, uh, the society re-roofed the house, hired animal control experts to remove extra guests in there. Uh, they repaired the um, damages and openings caused by Hurricanes Ivan and Katrina. And with the aid of a $32,600 grant from the Alabama Historical Commission, they cleaned it out and decontaminated the inside and made it detoxified and everything. Uh, one of the requirements that the grant agreement um, had was that people had to be allowed to visit it after it was cleaned up. Um, and it wasn't really hard for them to get people to come visit it, you know, because it's a historical place and it's haunted. But... Um, Two local paranormal groups, after it was cleaned up, decided to go investigate and were allowed to go in inside and investigate. And according to their findings, um, they there was a lot going on in there. Uh, they said that piano keys were struck when no one was in the room. Objects moved without people being near them. Uh, fuzzy figures pop up in pictures all the times and orbs. Um, now, while people do say this and it was investigated and approved by the society, the society does not claim the house is haunted, but it does maintain that any house deserves, if any house deserves ghosts, this one does. I mean, the man freaking launched himself <laughs> off of his own balcony. Uh, many believe that Sarah Drish still haunts the tower, probably looking for her candles. And you can now rent it for your weddings and lavish parties. So, Whoa. with all that being said, that is the the daunting and kind of really sad story of the Drish home in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That is really sad. That is so sad, but that is such a cool story. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I saw it, and I said, this is it. This is what I have to do this my is research it. on. Yes. Maybe we can go visit it sometime. Oh, yeah. That would be yeah. fun. Do like a special <laughs> special tipsy ghouls visit to <laughs> the Drish house. I'm into we it. We just looked up some pictures. It is very pretty. Yeah, we it were looking is. at pictures while you were talking. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It has like... 
yeah it has some like different stuff going on that i'm really into with its architecture so yeah the the tower on top is really pretty i couldn't believe that that was added after the fact it just always throws me off when things are added to homes after they're already built i can't wrap my mind around it my poor lower middle class mind (laughs) i know (laughs) blue collar mind (laughs) yeah we found the picture of the when it was in auto parts it looks so strange because it's like auto parts on like this extremely elaborate building (laughs) okay are we ready for me hell yeah so i definitely didn't write out exactly what i was gonna say so it might be all over the place um but the conspiracy theory that I found is based around Harper or Lee Harper, who is the author of To Kill a Mockingbird. So she grew oh, up in yes. Alabama. I think it's Min- Monroeville or something like that. Um, yeah, Monroeville. So she grew up in Monroeville, Alabama with another author who um, Truman Capote, Capote not really sure how to pronounce his name but he wrote um the book um in cold blood apparently he has a lot of other um really popular pieces that he's written so the whole conspiracy theory that i started off with revolves around the fact that they grew up together so people believe that um truman capote actually wrote to kill a mockingbird and this mainly stems around the fact that Harper Lee Harper only wrote one book and it was that and that she was so close with this other author who had so many other works that people just put together that it couldn't possibly like why would you only write one book and it's to kill a mockingbird and then that's the only thing you write so uh, people always just had their own thoughts about it and they did work closely together when he was writing his um, books also Truman she helped him do the research for In Cold Blood, and there's a couple theories of either maybe Harper Lee, or Lee Harper, sorry, just two first names, um, Lee Harper either, like, took the book from him, which I think has been debunked after some interviews, um, or just that Truman ghost wrote it for her, for whatever Ooh. reason. Yeah, so that's the conspiracy theory that I was first getting into. Um, and then I came across another thing that um, I, when I was reading on, it was on insider.com, they were writing like the 35 most popular conspiracy theories. And in that little blurb, they said that uh, Lee Harper was coming out with her other book. And this was in about 2016. And they were saying like, everyone's really interested to see if when, you know, when it comes out, is it going to be as good as To Kill a Mockingbird? Because it might give the conspiracy theorist something to stand on if it's not that good or if it's written in a different voice um that it might not be harper lee harper writing it so this book um so it's called go set a watchman and supposedly this was written before lee harper wrote to kill mockingbird but it is a sequel to that so this book came out in 2016 in the article that I was reading was written before it came out. So I decided to look into it just to see what people thought about it. Um, and the rating was only six out of 10. So that was interesting. Oh, that is interesting. <laughs> Compared since To Kill a Mockingbird is like, yes, a absolute classic. Yes. 
and I couldn't really find much about the conspiracy theorist conclusion of if this was actually um, Lee Harper writing it, but I did fall into this hole of reading about how mysterious her life is, or was. Um, she just died a couple of years ago. Um, but she, once she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, she didn't leave Alabama, even though she was making millions of dollars, and uh, she just lived a very quiet life and didn't want really any press or anything. Um, she never did interviews. She turned them down all the time. And ne she never married, never had any kids. So she lived a very mysterious life. And people started questioning, um, you know, when, when it, the word came out that she was going to release this book 55 years later, the second book, people were wondering if that was really her wanting to release the book. Because it seemed like something so out of character for Lee Harper to want to jump back into the spotlight when she's an elderly woman and she wants to live a quiet life. So, um, apparently the way that this book came about is there's two differing stories. One um, group of people think that her lawyer, um, which they talk about her in this New York Times article called Miss Carter, is her longtime lawyer. Some people think that she found this manuscript um, that they believed was possibly just a rough draft of To Kill a Mockingbird, and she kind of cleaned it up and released it, or wanted her wanted Lee Harper to release it. Um, it's Harper Lee. It's oh no! <laughs> Why didn't you tell me earlier? <laughs> I just noticed it. Shit. It is Harper, isn't it? Harper Lee. Harper Lee. Oh, Harper Lee. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Harper Lee. I'm sorry. I've been saying it wrong. It's the, She has two first names. It's very confusing. <laughs> and it's I never right. read To Kill a Mockingbird. So. You didn't? You uncultured okay. swine. No, I didn't. I think I read the clip. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wasn't a reader, okay? Um, so Harper Lee, um, her lawyer, which is Miss Carter, um, was basically her closest confidant and people didn't really question their relationship until this book came out so either one of two things happened either miss carter found the book from the manuscript and it was actually a rough draft of to kill a mockingbird and so she wanted to release it to make money basically um instead of Harper Lee actually taking the uh, initiative to release the book. They think that it was probably the lawyer that did it. Um, and the other, uh, the other belief is that uh, Ms. Carter was there when the book got discovered by some historians that were visiting her house, um, looking through this like lock box of works that Harper Lee did and that they discovered it and that it actually was a sequel and that um, it eventually got released with Harper Lee's permission. So it's hard to say. I don't think a conclusion was ever really come to about the origin of where this manuscript, manuscript came from, but she was definitely not in her right mind, um, or just not, e not in, maybe not her right mind, but she had trouble hearing and reading and seeing. Harper Lee did around this time, so it's hard to believe that she took the initiative to release a book while she <laughs> couldn't really yeah, right. read or write or hear. Yeah, that's crazy. So 
um, around the around 2013, which is a couple years before this new book was released, there was an investigation that Harper Lee launched uh, with the help of her lawyer that this publishing company or this um, this I guess her publishing company tricked her into signing over the copyright of To Kill a Mockingbird for obviously the gaining of money because every year whoever owns this copyright makes three million dollars minimum from all those copies that are still sold so she filed a lawsuit saying that she was a victim of elder abuse and financial manipulation and basically they found that there was no elder abuse so she did sign away the rights to this publishing company um and i'm not really sure how that if that ever came back to her or not, I didn't really look into that too much. Uh, so I'm not sure uh, where the copyright of To Kill a Mockingbird ended up. But fast forwarding to when she died, um, the will of Harper Lee, her lawyer was um, basically filed a suit with the, the state of Alabama wanting her will to stay sealed. So in dun, Alabama, dun, dun. yeah. In Alabama, uh, wills are public records, so you can see, you can look up anyone's will and see what they are. Um, but she got it approved before she died for the will to be sealed. Um, and the will that was actually used when Harper Lee died was only created 11 days before she died, which is always sketchy. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> really The sketchy. will was created yes. 11 days before she died? Yes. What? Yes. Oh. And there's, there's no way to know... She did have a will before that, but there's no way to look up what was on that will because that's not public record. So the only one that has been seen is the one that she died with, which actually the only reason that it is public record now is because the New York Times filed a lawsuit against the state of Alabama to try to get this will unsealed because they were interested in where all of her assets went and where the the copyright for all her books went and who was benefiting from the will. So what I gathered, basically how I landed on this was I think some people were probably interested in seeing if Truman Capote Capote got some kind of cut of To Kill a Mockingbird to try to see if he was the actual author. If she was like, okay, now that I'm dead, you can have it. (laughs) Um, But the executor of the will is actually, and like the, and the main person that's controlling the assets is her lawyer now miss carter that's interesting yes because she never married never had any kids so the will basically was it was very vague and it just said that all of her assets are going to this trust and then there's no way to know who is benefiting from this trust they think that her nieces and nephews probably got some money or some things um but it's believed that the the lawyer is also getting a lot of Big, big hefty chunk of that. Yes, a lot of things. Huh. <laughs> um, That's insane. Yes. I never knew this was a thing. Yeah, I didn't either. And apparently this is like, there's so much mystery around her life. Oh, yeah. So her her hometown um, of Monroeville, Alabama is pretty much split um, 50-50 on their stance on this whole conspiracy around her life. So 50% of the people think that, you know, Miss Carter was this true confidant and her biggest protector and 
because she was involved in the elder abuse case and, you know, she defended her for so many years, half of them think that she was actually a true friend and um, didn't change her will to benefit her. But half of them do think that and think that she was a victim again of elder abuse and that her lawyer got a lot of her assets moved over to her. And in her final days and with no kids or husband to really be on the front lines with her, she ended up with, like, the the fortune of To Kill a Mockingbird. Dang. Yeah. So, that's kind of where I stopped. <laughs> so, I was like, that's I could crazy. just keep going down, like, any of these. Like, what is the lawyer doing now? Like, but I'm sure she lives kind of a private life if this is, like, yeah, if it's I really bet. revolving around her. That's yeah. crazy. And she lived in, in Alabama her whole life. So she just lived in this little town and was just this multi-million dollar like author and lived in a just a little brick house and didn't want to do much. So it's an interesting turn of events for someone's life that she just wanted to live quietly and be an author. Wow. That's like the ultimate leave That's- Britney alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> leave Harper alone. <laughs> Yes, and in the beginning I was saying Lee Harper, but it is Harper Lee. I'm sorry. I apologize, too. Sorry, we should have caught it earlier. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Wow. And that's... Wow. Those are <laughs> our three yes. stories for the day. Spooky time stories. Yes. Yeah. We didn't really talk about how we were going to like wrap up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess if you're from Alabama and you have any other stories you want us to know, or if you have any insight on these, definitely shout us out. Um, we do have another Instagram for Tipsy Ghouls. That is Tipsy Ghouls Podcast. Yes. How do you spell that, That we'll be posting things on. T-I-P-S-Y-G-H-O-U-L-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Good job. Can I get that? Thank you. Can I get that in a sentence? Um, I heard Tipsy Ghoul's podcast today and it was great. <laughs> What's the origin? Origin is us. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it's uh we always say tipsy with an I, girls with a U, but it's <laughs> tipsy with yep. an I, ghouls with a G H O U L S. Ghouls like it sounds. Ghouls like ghouls. <laughs> like the ghosts. Yes, you can find us on instagram go ahead give us a follow we're gonna be posting something epi- um we're gonna be uh, i would like to post well this Upload. is just to you guys <laughs> i would like to post um so like pictures from each of the three stories we talked about so like mm-hmm. we can post a picture of the house and then a picture of this we need to post dude. a picture of us first yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too let's do the one in the door <laughs> like the entry archway at crafted and cured oh yeah that's a cute one that is a cute one say thank you for listening to tipsy ghouls and remember don't get in a tan volkswagen bug <laughs> question your own existence <laughs> don't play with ouija boards <laughs>
What's up, you spooky bitches? <laughs> <laughs> Why did the first thing that came in my head was I'm too drunk to taste this chicken? <laughs>